Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley, and with me is my co-host and mother, Caroline Kilborn. And welcome, everyone. <laughs> so far, it's a beautiful day again, but it's supposed to get cold after this because it's November. <laughs> That's what I hear. That's what I hear. You're going to sink down in to the 20s there in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm in Texas now, and it's going to get chilly here, too, but not nearly as cold. And we'll find out where our guest today is calling from. Mom, would you like to introduce Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos? Yes, I would. And uh, she is a historian, a journalist, and author of The Pirate Next Door, the untold story of 18th century pirates' wives, families, and communities. Her writing has appeared in New York Times, The Washington Post, Southern Living, Virginia Business, and other outlets. She lives in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, with her husband David. And this is a book you are—you're going to be—you're going to be amazed because you're going to learn stuff you never dreamed of. I just never dreamed, of, you know. <laughs> this is just wonderful. I was just really tickled to read this. And the title of the book is "The Pirate's Wife: The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd." Welcome to Writer's Voices, Daphne. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And um, when we introduced you, I forgot to mention it's actually Dr. Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos. And what is your doctorate in? Uh, It's in liberal studies with a focus on maritime history. And, of course, the first question that pops into mind is, how did you become to be interested in that? Yes, my question (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's such a great question. Um, I wrote a freelance piece for the New York Times Museum special section about a pirate museum in Provincetown, Massachusetts, called the Witta Pirate Museum. And this was a pirate ship that crashed in 1717 off the coast of Cape Cod. And as I was looking at the everyday artifacts that were recovered from the pirate ship, they told me that pirates had lives and connections on land, which I had never thought about. The legend of the captain of the pirate ship, Sam Bellamy, had a love interest on Cape Cod. And then I realized that pirates might have families and community links. Hadn't thought about that either. And in the course of writing my first book, which you mentioned, The Pirate Next Door, the untold story of 18th century pirates, wives, families, and communities. I learned about Sarah Kidd, and I knew she would be worth a much deeper look. Now, um, Captain Kidd is probably one of the most well-known pirates. What time period was he working in? In the 17th century, he was... Uh, active from 1695 to 1701. So a pretty short period of time. Yes, yes. Well, 1701 was uh, his death. So he, he was active in the late 1690s. Wow. What was amazing to me was that piracy was an accepted way of life for a, quite a while there. Oh, gosh, I just couldn't believe that. That was what's so amazing to me, because they they brought they brought things to to the to uh, America. Well, it wasn't you know because it was still in course under England's rule. But I mean, it's just so explain that. Just 
please explain that. <laughs> of course. Well, you're absolutely correct. Um, there was uh, a time in New York when the governor of New York, uh, Benjamin Fletcher, um, welcomed pirates because the economy was was failing because England was at war with France and there were difficulties with trade and the resources were depleted. But what pirates provided were um, goods from faraway places and uh, the pirates could sell them to the merchants in New York and some of the other colonies at rock bottom prices because they didn't have any overhead. So it gave merchants an opportunity to make a profit and to um, thrive. So the goods that the pirates brought in were exotic. They came from the other side of the world. People wanted them. And pirates also brought in stolen uh, gold and silver, which was called species. S-P-E-C-I-E-S, it's the currency. And um, the, the colony was very short of currency because there were navigation acts which limited the way that merchants could conduct their business. The authorities in London demanded that merchants first ship all their goods to London and then they could ship them to the other parts of the world which not only took a long time, but it was very expensive. So the merchants were in dire straits and piracy was a way for them to get some relief. And for the governor, Governor Fletcher, he saw having pirates in the colony as a way to boost the economy. And he also boosted his own pocket. He uh, allowed the pirates in, but he charged them a fee meaning that they wouldn't mm -hmm. be arrested and they could get into the harbor. And he pocketed the fee. So he, he did well during this time <laughs> as well until, yeah. <laughs> until he was recalled. <laughs> now, would this be considered the golden age of piracy? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, the golden age of piracy is a period when the seas were rampant with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pirates. And the reason there was so much piracy, and it took on the name the golden age of piracy, is that when there was peacetime, sailors were unemployed and they were just, they had no way of making a, a living. Um, and so they resorted to other means uh, of making a living, living as mariners. When uh, mariners were working on merchant ships and the, for the British Navy, the conditions were very, very harsh. Merchant sea captains were very um, punishing. The conditions on board the ship were uh, very difficult. The food was bad. The living conditions were bad. Disease was rampant. The punishment was almost unspeakable. Um, for example, it was called keel hauling, where they tied oh, yeah. a, a member up and hauled him underneath the ship where there would have been barnacles and just pulled him underneath the hull over and over. And he often just drowned or died of, of wounds. 
And that was punishment. That was one of the, the many punishments that were administered on these ships. So for men who were sailors, uh, turning piracy, turning to pirates with the pirates was, was a better way because on board a pirate ship, the conditions were better, the food was better, and they got a boat. It was a democratic organization. So they were treated with respect while on British ships and merchant ships, they were not treated with respect. So men turned to piracy for that reason. There's mm-hmm. a number of reasons. Wow. Now, there was also a distinction between privateering and piracy. And can you explain that to us? Of course. Privateering was uh, legal piracy. During time of war, the monarch in England didn't have enough men to uh, man his ships in the Navy. And so privateers were privately owned boats that were an auxiliary to the, to the British Navy. So they were hired by uh, people to serve, to serve the country. Captain Kidd in particular was um, hired to uh, capture French enemy ships and, uh, capture the ship, the cargo, and bring it back to London. He had the king as his sponsor and some of the most important men in London as his investors. The contract that he had and privateers had was called a letter of mark, and it was very specific on what the duties were expected um, and responsibilities. And it was very specific on the formula on the uh, percentage of uh, of the take that the captain and the crew of the privateering ship would would get. Captain Kidd was hired as a privateer for the king, and he was also given a second letter of mark because he was such a well-respected mariner. He was so talented, and they liked that he was a family man also, and that he was so knowledgeable about about the seas and who roamed the seas. So he was given the second commission and that was to stamp out pirates. And he was particularly to go after a few that were known as the most active ones causing the most trouble on the high seas. Mm-hmm. A pirate does not share. A pirate ship does not share. They don't have investors like a privateering ship has. A pirate ship is a, a, a single business entity. It is the captain and his crew, and they um, they keep all the goods that they capture and divide it among themselves. Now, you wrote somewhere in this book about that when a pirate ship um, took over a merchant ship, whether the captain was spared or or put to death depended on how the sailors on the ship spoke of him. Yes, there was a brotherhood among pirates and mariners. They uh, took care of each other. There was a brotherhood among these men. And if a, a, a pirate ship captured a merchant ship and the crew said how brutal the merchant captain had been to them, then they had 
they didn't have much mercy for the merchant captain. They were protecting, they would, they emphasized, they empathized with their fellow crew members. But if it was a, a captain who was fair, then he might be spared. Yes. Yes. And was it quite common for those, the sailors on those captured ships to then turn pirate themselves? Yes. 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 When a pirate ship, when a pirate ship captured a merchant ship, they would go on board and take all the things that they, they could take, especially cannon and ammunition and weaponry, navigation instruments, the cargo. And they would say, who would like to join the pirates? And many sailors mm. joined up. Did they because really have a, a choice? <laughs> but, but if they said yeah. no, what would happen to them? Well, then they would be taken taken as as prisoners. Ah, okay. <laughs> so, <No. no. laughs> but 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 if they join the pirates, they they could become part of the brotherhood and get a take in the the uh, the loot when they captured things. And so then they, they become might become a member of the crew, and they might give them the, a, that ship that they just captured to. Um, Oh, I don't know about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what would they do with the captured ships? They would, they would, they would bring them with them. It was they they formed a flotilla, oh. which was uh, the ships would all sail together, and um, it became like a little little army. Okay. So they would need more people because they'd have they'd need more sailors because they'd have more ships to sail so correct yeah um so why was if captain kidd was a privateer and he had this legal commission why was he hung captain kidd's commission was a one-year commission it was expected that it he would only be gone for one year but when he was out for a year he did not capture any prizes and so he extended his time to a second year, and he still didn't capture any prizes, and he extended it to a third year. By the third year, his men were um, mutinous because it had been so long that he was at sea. The conditions had deteriorated. The, the ship, the new ship that Captain Kidd had been given, called the Adventure Galley, was now leaky, and... Um, Captain Kidd had lost a number of crew members to disease. Uh, in fact, the first year he lost 50, and he had to keep getting new crew. But by the third year, they they didn't have enough to make a, a showing for the three years of being out at sea. And the crew was under these uh, conditions called no purchase, no pay, meaning if they didn't capture any ships, they didn't get paid. Oh, so wow. here they think, um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It was terrible. And they had no money to send home to their families. And so by the third year, uh, his crew was very mutinous and insisted that he take ships that were not, they were other than French, which meant that he broke the contract of being a privateer and he crossed into piracy. That's how that happened. In addition, 
the reason he was hung, in addition to being accused of piracy um, and convicted of piracy, is that on the third year with his crew so mutinous, his his gunner, which is the the man who run, who mans the cannon, mouthed off to him. And no captain can have an insubordinate crew member. The tensions on the ship were very, very strong. And uh, in in his anger, Captain Kidd uh, hit the man over the head with a wooden bucket, and the man died the next day. So now the crew are, is accusing him of murder, and word spread from port to port that Captain Kidd was a murderer as well as a pirate. So that's how, how it all happened, that he was eventually um, tried and convicted and hanged. And did he always maintain his innocence? He did. He did. He claimed that he um, was forced to, uh, that it was his crew who, who forced him to capture. Uh, he, he claimed that it was his crew that forced him to turn pirate. And he um, pleaded his in- innocence until the very, very end, uh, until he was on the scaffold. Wow. And yet he didn't hesitate to keep the loot that he, or, or he tried to anyway, he attempted to, to keep the loot that, that a pirate captain would get. What he did was he had a ship full of loot and he had a complicated relationship with one of his investors, which was Lord Belmont, the governor of New York. Lord Belmont was wore two hats. He was the monarch's man hired to be the man to stamp out piracy in the colonies. And but Lord Belmont was also a very big investor in Captain Kidd's privateering voyage. So Lord Belmont had um, a reason to benefit from Captain Kidd bringing in the stolen loot that he had. What happened was Captain Kidd um, was trying to save himself and negotiate a pardon. So he uh, made arrangements to hide his stolen loot so that when he went in and met with the governor um, to ask for a pardon, and he was led to believe by the governor through correspondence that he was going to be pardoned. Um, there's a lot of deceit and lies and double cross that went on during this period. And, um, but Captain Kidd did that not to keep the stolen loot, but to use it to his advantage to negotiate a pardon saying, if you pardon me, I'll tell you where the loot is. That is your, and you have a great advantage of knowing where it is because you get a percentage of it as one of the investors. Mm. But it didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way, no. You're listening to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline, and our guest today is Dr. Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos, author of The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. So let's turn to Sarah's story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
So she had an interesting life, even apart from being uh, the wife of Captain Kidd, because that was her third marriage at what, age 22 or something like that? Or at, at age 21. At age 21. She, yeah. Correct. Right. When she married him at the age of 21, she was twice widowed. And that's kind of interesting in and of itself, isn't it? Because <laughs> the second one of those, you couldn't find very much information about how he died. No, there's no information available on how he died. Um, the interesting backstory that you're referring to is that Sarah Kidd arrived in this uh in in New York at the age of 14 she was uh Sarah Bradley with her father and her two brothers and within the year she was married off to William Cox one of the wealthiest merchants in the colony and kept uh William Cox unfortunately uh died uh and within a year after his death they were married for 4 years and Within a year of his death, she did what she needed to do because William, I mean, I'm sorry, Sarah and every woman in that time period didn't have any agency. They didn't have any legal rights except through their husband. And so she remarried and um, she uh, was widowed again within a year. Uh, She was married to a Dutch merchant named John Ort and she was widowed again within a year. And Captain Kidd was her third husband. By the time she married Captain Kidd, she had had a great deal of life experience that that many of us have never had. And she knew what she wanted. Uh, She knew a lot about men and marriage and love and loss. Tell us a little bit about what she and her first husband built and what her role was in that in their economic life. William Cox was a flour merchant, which is a uh, flour was what you make bread out of. It was one of the most important trade goods in New York. And um, he was extremely successful with his partner. And um, he and Sarah eventually, after two years, opened up a retail shop in their home on Pearl Street in Manhattan. Pearl Street is, their home on Pearl Street is on the corner of Hanover Street and it faces the harbor at the time it was called, it faced the harbor which had a wall built in front of it and that's what we know of as Wall Street. (laughs) It was in, it is Mm -hmm. now the financial district of uh, Manhattan. And it's very common. (laughs) Yeah. It was very common for um, people to run their business on the first floor of their home. And so they opened up a retail business and Sarah became a she merchant. She had very good business uh, skills and very good taste. They imported things from London and uh, very good taste in clothing and um, dry goods. And so they were very successful at this. 
very, very successful. Very successful. So successful that within um, within a year, they bought William Cox bought yet a second house. Um, so they owned quite a bit of property, and uh, they had a great deal of money. They Sarah lived in in a very luxurious lifestyle. So then her husband dies of, and how did he die? He was instructed to deliver the message that the new monarchs had uh, ascended the throne, uh, King William and Mary. And of course, in that time, the only way to communicate was in person, no cell phones or even there was no newspapers at that time either. So he went to New Jersey to tell the colonists that there was a new monarch. It was a a very um, ceremonial affair. He was dressed to the nines as he owned beautiful clothes, brocade coat and buckled shoes and silk stockings and his wig was fabulous. And um, he drowned, unfortunately, while stepping uh, between his canoe to his uh, ship uh, on his way back from the ceremony. Wow. And the, he was, because he was dressed like that, when he fell in, he couldn't swim, probably. Right. He's, it, it's very um, detailed in the primary sources <clears throat> of how it happened. There were, there were eyewitnesses who, who saw him and thought he was doing fine, but he kept sinking in the mud. And he, um, it, was, it was pretty grisly scene, actually. And um, they, brought, they thought he was alive. They brought him back on shore, but he, he died. Wow. And, you know, one thing, and, and Caroline, you know, you can talk about this too. It was, I mean, I knew that women had very little legal and financial rights in, you know, not even yeah, not that long right. ago in our country. But boy, were they, it was really pretty, pretty awful. For, yeah, a lot of them couldn't even read, right? They couldn't. They had no skills at all. In you know, or they and, were taught to read, but they weren't taught to write. And, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. and they couldn't really own anything that they owned. Became property of their husband when they married, and mm-hmm. they, you know, when so when her husband died, you would think she would have inherited a lot, but and she did, but. It was not that easy. No. Uh, and, and just to back up a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, when women married, they became the property of their husbands. Mm-hmm. It was called femme covert. And um, so they became the, hus- the hu- their husband's property. And they had their only legal rights were through their husband. And he controlled everything. Um, and I forgot where, where we were on the other part about well um, her inheritance they, how she was it wasn't it wasn't straightforward for her to even well first of all he he had written a will and what did what and it didn't all go to her no that's correct William Cox her husband um, was very specific in his will and he was very fond of Sarah's two younger brothers named Henry right. Samuel Jr. Yeah. And he he was very generous in in giving uh, real estate money 
an opportunity to those two young boy, young men. And um, so Sarah didn't get everything. She got um, the choice of a house to live in. And um, when, when it turned out just a few weeks later, unfortunately, that he drowned, um, his estate was tied up in red tape because the colony was in chaos with uh, an, a political event that was going on called Lester's Rebellion. So that got all tied up and she couldn't get her money. Um, she could she could live in her Pearl Street house, but but she her hands were tied. So she she was um, in another strait where she had to she had to marry. And she so she married John Ort, the Dutch merchant, who was her second husband. And once she was married, she was able to get the money. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. John Ort was not successful at um, untangling the legal problems she had, and he was also not successful as a merchant. And he um, <clears throat> he acquired a great deal of debt, which would have would have been very humiliating for Sarah because she went from a very uh, well-respected uh, New York socialite. So now she's it, it, covered in debt and her husband uh, borrowed money from widows and other people. And it, it must have been just shameful for her to not be able to sustain things. So um, that didn't go well. And he, he wasn't able to untangle things for her. But it did happen with her third husband, Captain <laughs> Kidd. And how did she meet him? It was a chance encounter, actually. Um, it was when Captain Kidd bought a house from Sarah's brother. Samuel Jr. acquired through the, his inheritance with um, he, he was he was given a house from William Cox, Sarah's first husband, and Captain Kidd. Um, bought bought it. It was a house on Wall Street, and Captain Kidd bought that house. And Sarah uh, uh, appears to have been there during the land transaction. So they met during the land transaction. At the time, Sarah was married, and uh, Captain Kidd was a, a privateer, not with the Monarch's Commission, which came much later, but um, he was doing other privateering at the time, and um, he he soon was um, sent back out on another job. So, as much as they may have admired each other at the time, the timing wasn't right for them. And of course, Sarah was married too. So, but not for long. Not for long. <laughs> um, uh, John Ort dies, and we don't know how he died. Uh, we suspect that it was unexpected because he didn't leave a will and he um, there's no record of how he died. Hmm. But we do know that two days later, she married Captain Kidd. The marriage <laughs> license is very clear on the date. And that, and that at the time, two days later, that she is the widow of John Ort. That's... Must have been a little shocking to society. Well, it's certainly unusual, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> but 
Um, at the time, Sarah and Captain Kidd were New York power couple, um, New York power citizens, I should say. They weren't a couple at the time. Um, they were both very well respected, and Captain Kidd was a, a war hero. He helped save the colony. Um, he had just been awarded 150 pounds as a reward for his efforts, which was a huge amount of money. So there was no investigation launched on what may have been a suspicious uh, demise of John Ort. Uh, and there was no, um, no accusations were made. Mm. That almost makes you wonder if it might have been self-inflicted. You never know. I don't, I, I, there's no evidence. There's no evidence whatsoever about how he died. So oh. I, I, I could only, I can't speculate. You're listening to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline, and our guest today is Dr. Daphne Palmer Janikopoulos, author of The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. You, you've obviously researched this. I mean, how in the world did you find all these things? Because in the book, there's all the, you know, <laughs> the research, and that, that's amazing to me. It's just amazing. Where did you find all these facts and things? I use a variety of sources because women left little record of their affairs. Uh, most women, including Sarah, were illiterate. And um, I read a lot of contextual history of pirates and of the time period in which Sarah lived in order to understand the political, economic, and social conditions under which uh, she lived and was influenced by. I was able to find some very important primary sources of Sarah's, uh, such as a petition that she sent to the governor of New York, Lord Belmont. And she left several petitions, and those are very telling about her. She also left a will, a last will and testament, which is unusually long for the period and very strong and uh, detailed. Many of the ancient sources mm. that I relied on were handwritten, and they were from the period of the late 1600s. And they were very difficult to read. I spent five months transcribing 250 documents, and I found these in the National Archives in London among the Admiralty Papers. Oh, my God. In addition, <laughs> in addition to that, <laughs> I... Um, I visited archives in the places where Sarah and Captain Kidd had been, including those in New York and Boston and Rhode Island, and I walked where they had been. I, I, I wanted to get a feel of what it was like that Sarah uh, experienced in these places. And, of course, 300 years later, they're very changed. But, uh, but there were places that were very still is still evident of Sarah. For example, in New York, um, Trinity Church Wall Street, Captain Kidd helped build it, and uh, that is still existing. There's Captain Kidd bought her a pew, pew number four. There's the ancient graveyard where she is buried and her son and grandson. So I was able to bring it, bring Sarah alive through different mm -hmm. sources. I also found some sources at the Library of Congress, and Captain Kidd also left statements that gave strong evidence about their relationship. And I also was very fortunate that archivists that I met in my journeys of 
uh, of, of spending hundreds of hours in archives, um, were very supportive and helpful in, in helping me find resources for my research. Well, I'll tell you, you really, <laughs> you're, it's, it's amazing that you, that you were able to do all that. I mean, really, it, it, it made it, it see, I, I never even, never dreamed that there was any, anything before pirate, bad pirates. You know what I'm saying? You know, sure. you, never, <laughs> you never heard about, you never heard about the other things. And it was really, really interesting. It really was. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other time in history when piracy was so prevalent? Well, privacy, piracy has been around since the time of antiquity. As long as there is water and seaboard trade, there's been piracy. It dates back to the ancient Greeks and Romans. And mm. are you a student of that entire history, or do you focus primarily on this, the late 17th century col colonial pirates? I just focused my research on the late 17th and early 18th century piracy period. Wow. The golden age of piracy is what I focused on. So, Daphne, why don't you read a little bit from The Pirate's Wife for us? Sure. I'm going to read from the prologue. Sarah Kidd laid in a weakened state in the bedroom of her Manhattan mansion. A highly contagious legal disease raged through the colony, striking young and old, rich or poor, black or white. It was September 12, 1744, and the 74-year-old Sarah had first taken to her bed to get warm under her soft quilts and to rest her head on the goose-down pillows. Then the chills, fever, and fatigue set in. She was nearly certain she had contracted the deadly disease everyone called diphtheria. As a precaution, she asked her family and friends to stay at a safe distance. She arranged for soft foods and a soothing drink made from the medicinal herbs in her garden to be left outside her bedroom door. Her mind wandered in a fever-induced haze. She closed her eyes and remembered herself in another time and place she was a young woman with her husband, Captain William Kidd, on his pirate ship, the St. Antonio, a vessel laden with gold, silver, and jewels. As his closest confidant, she learned that he'd buried some of his stolen treasure for safekeeping, and he described to her where it was hidden. She was not to tell a soul. For more than 40 years since his death in 1701, Sarah, the pirate's wife, kept his secret safe. Not even her five children knew. She alluded to it in her will, noting that she had assets in the city of New York and elsewhere, but she did not identify elsewhere. Sarah worried about the consequences if her children were caught with stolen pirate loot. Her strong instincts told her it was best to leave well enough alone. As she thought back over her life, not all of her memories were fond ones especially the time when she was a pirate's wife. But now the memory of the hardships and heartbreak had softened and Sarah wouldn't have traded it for anything. She felt proud, very proud to have been a pirate's wife and she wore the title 
as a badge of honor. Sarah repeated a prayer as her condition worsened. Almighty God, have mercy on my soul and pardon and forgive me all my sins and offenses so that I may, after this miserable life, arise with our Savior, Jesus Christ. She became delirious from the fever and shook uncontrollably. The sheets were soaked with her perspiration. Still, the thought of that secret weighed on her as well-kept secrets do. As she prayed for forgiveness, she may have thought it was time to identify elsewhere to her three children who paced downstairs in the sitting room. It wasn't long before Sarah developed a sore throat that felt like a razor when she swallowed. She tried to speak, but it hurt so much she could only whisper. Her daughter, Elizabeth Kidd Troop, peeked through the keyhole to check on Sarah. The once vigorous woman now appeared very small among the many furnishings and tasseled curtains. She looked pale in her white cotton bedclothes and so frail lying on her side facing the door. Elizabeth saw her mother's lips moving, mouthing words, but she could not hear her. She strained through the keyhole to hear what she might be whispering. Elizabeth called for her brothers, William and Henry, who had stepped outside on the front stoop that faced the harbor. The cry of the seagull seemed to signal the alarm. Elizabeth told them to hurry. Each took a turn at the keyhole, looking and listening. Sarah's breathing was loud and strained as she gasped for air. The three of them looked at each other with tears in their eyes when the room fell quiet. There was not a sound, not even a whisper. For over 300 years, treasure hunters have scoured the North American Eastern Seaboard trying to find where elsewhere is. That secret is with Sarah, buried in the churchyard of Trinity Church Wall Street in Manhattan. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and that is from The Pirate's Wife, The Remarkable True Story of Sarah Kidd. Now, she had five children, five living children, and one who, although you couldn't find any actual record of of her passing away, must have died fairly young. That's correct. Okay. And so there were three of them at her deathbed. Were the other two, had they predeceased her? They had already, they predeceased her, yeah. Yeah. So that was not uncommon then either, people dying young. (laughs) No, and it's remarkable that Sarah's five children, well, it's remarkable that Sarah survived childbirth five times. And it's even more remarkable that the five children lived to adulthood. The the two children that died before Sarah died not long before Sarah, within a year or two. Did they also die of diphtheria? We believe that one of them may have died of yellow fever. Mm. Um, Sarah's daughter named Sarah, who was Captain Kidd's daughter, and her son Christopher. Rousby, which was from her fourth husband, um, likely died from diphtheria. It, it was raging through the colony. Just these diseases were raging, and the, the medical care at the time was very, very um, 
limited. So it was very, it was very, uh, it was sweeping. And four months after Cap- after Sarah died, another son died, Henry, and he's buried right next to Sarah. And Henry's ten-month-old son died, and they and Henry and his baby are buried mm-hmm. together oh. next to Sarah. Now, Sarah seemed to have no trouble at all finding husbands. Right. (laughs) Was she extraordinarily beautiful, or was it just because so many women died in childbirth that there was a shortage of childbearing age women for men to choose from? She was described as lovely and accomplished. She was described as a lady of intelligence and experience exemplary piety she must have been but there's no pictures of her there are no portraits of her so we don't know what she looked like but she must have been very very attractive starting from her 15 year when she was 15 years old and she was married to the one of the wealthiest men in the colony he had William Cox had been in the colony for eight years he could have had his pick of of any woman, but he picked Sarah. She was very unusual. She was she was she was clearly very mature for her age, <clears throat> and and very attractive. And her mother had passed away when she was how old? We don't know how old she was when she passed away. There are no records of the mother to let us know when Sarah lost her. Mm. But when Sarah arrived in New York, she arrived only with her father and her two brothers. So she was 14 years old and she had already lost her mother. In in your research about pirates, were there some was were there any books or like narratives written close to this time period that were sort of primary sources for you? Yes, there's the primary source uh, considered to be the primary source on piracy called the History of Piracy. And it's uh, by a Captain Johnson, which is maybe a pseudonym for someone else, but um, it is a, uh, a compilation of uh, contemporary pirate histories. It was published in London in 1724. At the time, Captain, uh, at the time, Sarah was alive, and there is a lengthy chapter on Captain Kidd, which doesn't mention Sarah at all. But it, but it fails to be a complete chapter about Captain Kidd because it doesn't mention Sarah. And Sarah, as I said, was alive at the time, and she could have been interviewed for it. Um, but it, but it, it, she was not. And the book is still in print <laughs> from 1724. It's still in print. You can get one. It's called The History of the Pirates. The and History of the Pirates. How accurate do you think it was? Well, the chapter on Captain Kidd was was uh, incomplete. Right. Um, um, I think it is considered to be the most important source book on piracy. 
because it was written at that time. And the author claims to have obtained information from court documents and newspapers, and he claims that he interviewed pirates themselves or victims of pirates. So it is an important source book. It is a very, very important source book. Now, what does the term buccaneer mean, and how does it differ from pirate? Buccaneer came to be, it referred to the men on an island who roasted um, beef. And a a buccaneer is like a pirate. It's just kind of another name for it. But the origin of it, of the name buccaneer, is is from uh, cooking beef on an island. <laughs> it was the men who did that. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but they they did they did go and ex- explore and exploit. Um, they're often interchange- interchangeable. There must have been a lot of uh, of disease and death on board ships too. I would think because the food was not good and it was you know so. It's kind of dangerous being a seaman, wasn't it? It was very dangerous. It was very dangerous. There was disease, and um, the water was very bad, and um, the conditions were bad. So it was it was a very difficult time. It was very harsh living, and the fact that Captain Kidd was a mariner uh, all his adult life, he started actually as a young boy, <clears throat> tells you that he was a very strong, physically strong man, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in addition to being a, a very skilled navigator and leader. You know, another thing I found interesting was that Captain Kidd had cajoled or bribed or through ties of friendship left various assets with various people before he returned to meet with um, the governor and who he thought was going to give him a pardon, but he had a backup plan just in case he had these assets strung all around. And it seemed like pirates really trusted one another to, with their, with their worldly goods. And he held things for other people and, um, Sarah held things for her maids and, and that's, you no, that's yeah. how, you know, why didn't people just, you know, why, why would you trust somebody else with your, with your loot like that? Well, there were no banks, <laughs> no safety deposit, <laughs> no place to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you either buried it or you gave it to somebody <laughs> or both. Yes. <laughs> Captain Kidd did something, I think you're referring to uh, the backup plan that Captain Kidd made with another former pirate who was now retired um, named Thomas, Captain Thomas Payne. And and Captain Kidd made provisions for Sarah in the event she needed money in case something happened to him. And he left several bars of gold with Captain Payne, who was in Rhode Island. Uh, he lived near Newport, Connecticut Island in um, Newport. 
outside of Newport. And um, that was kept, that was Sarah's backup plan, which she had to use and which she accessed through the pirate network. And even, even before that, didn't um, he leave some with, with Gardner? Yes. Yes. John Gardner was the uh, owner of Gardner's Island, which is a small island in Long Island Sound. <clears throat> and uh, Captain Kidd, before he rendezvoused with Sarah in their secret rendezvous, went and delivered some some things and asked John Gardner to hold it for him. And and, uh, and he did. And the, the reason he did was everyone it was very dubious of of mariners who came and wanted them to hold stolen loot for them you you wouldn't really cross those kinds of people so um, (laughs) he 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 did he he dropped he dropped some things off at gardner's island and then once he had sarah and his daughters um on board he went back to gardner's island and he buried some more And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, he felt he had, he had evidence that proved he wasn't a pirate in the That's form right. of these French passes. Can you tell me what that means and then what happened to them? Yes. So as a privateer, as Captain, Captain Kidd, as I mentioned, his letter of Mark said that he was to capture French enemy ships. And he did. He captured two of them. So he was a legitimate privateer at the beginning of his voyage. Um, not at the beginning of his voyage, but during his voyage, he did he, he did act legitimately. And he captured two French ships. And how that works is um, the captain of the French ship hands over handed over to Captain Kidd the registration of the ship, and it's called a French pass. And that is the evidence, Captain Kidd had two of those, that he had acted legitimately within his letter of mark. Captain Kidd turned those over as evidence that he was an honest man. He turned those over to Lord Belmont in Boston when he was trying to secure a pardon. And that's that's where things went south for him also because those were lost. <laughs> and of course, there were no copy machines right. <laughs> or, or photographic no... evidence. <laughs> the document that's was right. was that's... it. If and that if that wow, oh. that was it. And um, Lord Belmont shipped the two French passes to London when he sent. Uh, when he, when Captain Kidd was, was shipped to London for, to stand trial. And those two pieces of evidence were lost. And the trial documents are, are very hard to read to hear Captain Kidd begging for his evidence. And it it was hard to read. Do you, do you believe he was a pirate or do you believe he was forced into it and that he really? wasn't a bad guy. I believe he was forced into it. I believe he did commit piracy, but there was a, 
privateers swayed into piracy very often, and the king um, issued official pardons of men who committed crimes of, of piracy. And at the time that Captain Kidd was in London um, and held in, in prison, Newgate Prison, and awaited his trial and was tried and convicted, um, there was a pardon that was, the, cap, the, the king had issued a pardon. And Sarah thought, this is great. He's going to, he's going to be free. Captain Kidd's going to come home. It's going to be wonderful. But the pardon specifically said that Captain Kidd was not included in the pardon. So I do, I do believe that he was forced into piracy by his men. Um, I, I think his charge of murder, he did, he did act, commit an act of violence, but those things, shipboard accidents happened all the time yeah. and they were even worse than that so i i think that he in my opinion as a historian i thought he was treated unfairly his trial was very unfair he was not given legal counsel to protect himself and he had been in um, prison for over two years in solitary confinement oh my. in he had been in Boston in chains, 16 pound chains tied to his wrist and his ankles. And those were horrendous conditions. And then he shipped to, to London and he's in Newgate prison, which is a hellhole of hellholes. And he's there for over a year. So he, I think he was treated very unfairly. Well, if you want to learn more, you need to read The Pirate's Wife, the remarkable true story of Sarah Kidd, because we're out of time for today. thank you for being with us Daphne and Caroline do you have some closing words well I just want everyone to know that there's a lot of history out there and um, you just have to explore and find it and this is a good way to start (laughs) thank you thank you both and see you all next week on Writer's Voices thank you so much for having me